Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. We pray with me. Lord, open our hearts to your Word. Open uh, Jim's mouth. Give us living water. Uh, Teach, correct, rebuke, Lord, the things in our lives that we so need. And we will say thank you, Jesus. And everybody who agreed with this prayer said, amen. Good morning. Um, We're in, I think, our second last week of our little summer series on the parables. And then after that, we're going to go into uh, going through Ephesians. So something to look forward to there, too. Um, Before I introduce the second last parable, maybe I could start it off this way. Uh, I'm a person that... uh, goes out of my way to avoid seeing horror movies or slasher movies that, you know, I, like, I got enough problems in my life without adding fictional ones, you know. Um, but those who are in the know about uh, these kind of movies say there's always this part of their structure called the third act boo. And it goes something like this, you know, you got this like out of the way place and there's these innocent, kind of innocent people there. And uh, then there's this, like, psycho, slasher, terrible villain-type guy, right? And people get killed and stuff, and they finally, you know, what seems to be the end of the movie, they kill the guy, you know, in some kind of brutal way and everything. The guy's got a pitchfork through his neck or whatever the deal is. And so the remaining survivors are standing around and they're congratulating each other, and they're going, whew. That was a close one. And isn't it great that the guy's dead, you know? And yeah, it's so good. He's 100% dead, you know? And we can be sure that he's dead, right? We're so confident we're not even going to be looking at him. We're going to turn our backs to his body and everything, you know? And meanwhile, the audience that knows what's happening, because this is a formula, right? They're going, turn around, turn around, you know? And finally, you know, and then, of course, the guy isn't dead, right? And then they have to kill him again, and this sets up 10 more sequels, which is the way Hollywood works, right? But that's that third act boo, and it's like, wow, we didn't see that coming. And the uh, parable or story that Jesus is telling today that we're going to hear about, um, this is about the judgment, you know? And I think there's a lot of people that are going to go like, whoa, I, I didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming. I didn't know what that was going to be like. And I think even a lot of us believers have misconceptions about it. And so this is going to really help us to see clearly uh, what this, is, this judgment is all about. It's so important. We don't want to miss this. And it's the, the parable or the story of the sheep and the goats. I mean, there's some question whether this is actually a, quote, parable. It, you know, it's Jesus is just teaching straight here, and he's using some imagery of the sheep and the goats as he goes through it. I'm going to take you through it, and then I'll go back and talk about three areas where we really miss the boat sometimes. Uh, Jesus says, and, and he's telling this about a day or two before he gets betrayed and eventually goes to the cross. So he's, he's coming to the climax of his ministry. And he says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the, the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. And I'm sure most of you have probably read this one before, heard this, maybe many times. And it always gets your attention, doesn't it? It's kind of like, whoa, pretty serious stuff. It's bracing. And I think there's three things that, you know, as we kind of look at this, we go like, you know what? It's like most people get this wrong. And I think the first thing is just about Jesus. We, get, we have a lot of misconceptions. You know, I think the popular opinion of Jesus is that he's nothing to... Um, get really too worried about, you know? I mean, people think, oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's like baby Jesus, you know? We got this little cute baby at Christmas time in a manger, and, you know, in some cultures, it's like, yeah, he's the one who brings presents and all. And then we got this kind of meek and mild Jesus who just affirms everybody and all lifestyles, and he just would never say a discouraging word or correct you or hold you accountable. He's just... He's, he's just really, you know, kind of like indulgent, right? He's just permissive. And then we got like the Gandhi opinion, you know, who's like Gandhi said, I don't need a savior. He said that Jesus to me is a great world teacher among others. You know, he's a teacher. And I know being a longtime teacher and had a preschool, first preschool meetings last week to go into another year it's like my students, you know, as a teacher, they go like, yeah, that's interesting stuff, you know. But they don't carry it out. They don't take it too seriously. They go, well, that's good. You know, it's his opinion. And so there's just this idea that Jesus is like, whatever. You know, we go on with our lives. And you know what? This, uh, this parable starts out and it goes, hey, he's coming in his glory. And he's sitting on a throne. And this is a throne of judgment. And this is going to affect people, and, and many of them, in real negative ways. Uh, he's awesome, and he means business. You know, he's nothing to trifle with. He's got real authority. I was uh, reading a, a short biography of Susanna Wesley. I don't know if you had heard of her. She lived in the 17th century, uh, 17th, 18th centuries, and uh, she was the 25th of 25 children. And uh, she had 19 kids of her own. Uh, 10 of whom died pretty much like young or in infancy and stuff. But she was just really a tremendous force. And uh, she was married to this guy named Samuel Wesley, who was a, a, a church pastor. 
And this guy was forever falling into debt and running out of money, and they, they were always like living hand to mouth and houses burning down and everything like that it was terrible. And uh, he, one, this one year, he took a job far away. So he just leaves her with all these kids and everything. And in his place at the church, he had his like assistant pastor preaching. And this guy, all he ever talked about was debt is evil and boring, right? And people, and Susanna Wesley thought, my kids are getting nothing out of this church service. So what I'm going to do is, you know, go to church on Sunday. And Sunday afternoon, I'm going to read sermons that my husband has written and that other people have written that have got some real meat to them. And uh, we'll just, we'll do that. And then pretty soon, people started coming to her house on Sunday afternoon. And pretty soon, her whole house was full of people listening to her read these sermons. And, and pretty soon, the church, where the assistant pastor was denouncing debt every Sunday, was pretty empty. So this assistant pastor got real mad. And he writes to Samuel Wesley in London, and he goes, your wife has started this thing where she's reading sermons on Sunday afternoon and nobody's coming to church anymore. So Samuel Wesley writes uh, Susanna. And he goes, you know what? you got to stop doing this. It's not right for a woman to uh, be doing sermons and stuff. And she wrote him back. She said, I'm not. She said, I'm just reading your sermons. And, she's, and he goes, no, you got to stop doing this. I order you not to do this. And then she wrote back and she said, send me your positive command in full and express terms, as may absolve me from guilt and punishment for neglecting this opportunity of doing good, when you and I shall appear before the great and awful tribunal of our Lord Jesus Christ. She goes, make it absolutely clear, sign your name, you're taking full responsibility, and then when we appear at the last judgment, you're going to uh, be accountable for that. Well, he wrote her back, and he goes, you may continue. <laughs> You know, you got to understand, you know, she understood this judgment, you know, nothing to mess with, right? And her husband, even with all his faults, he understood that, that too. Now, at the same time, at the same time, Hebrews 4 reminds us that we got a judge who understands us. He's a judge who has compassion for us because he has been through the same experiences that you and I have. And it says there, so then, since we have a great high priest, that's somebody who's like an advocate for us, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Do you understand that? Whatever temptations you have faced, no matter what they are, he experienced temptations exactly like those. He had to deal with those. There isn't any kind of like weird thing that you've struggled with that he didn't have to deal with when he was here. He experienced it. So he, it says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We got somebody who really gets it. Now at the same time, we can't fool him. You know, because he's going, no, no, I, I, I know what, what goes on down there, right? But he understands and cares for us. He's got that compassion. You know, the second thing that I think we really misunderstand is the judgment. The judgment. Um, this is uh, Anthony Hopkins. He won the Academy Award this year for Best Actor. He appeared in a movie that hardly anybody saw. 
or ever will see, but that's the way they work there um, in Hollywood. Anyway, um, and he's a good actor, no doubt about it, but this is his take. The sadness of life is that we're born into this world, and at the end we leave, and you think, what was that all about? Is there meaning in it? Nothing is of that much importance. We're pretty insignificant little dots. You know, he's going, hey, you live your life, that's it. It doesn't even matter. And, you know, I think a lot of even believers have this attitude. You know, it's like, well, we have faith in Jesus Christ, and the rest of our life doesn't really matter that much. And I think we've got to understand what this is all about. Now, one of the things that this, this tells us, uh, this teaching of Jesus, is that separation comes before judgment, Okay. So he goes, all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus said that when he returns, he's coming back in the clouds, right? And what he's going to do, he's going to take his people to be with him and raise the dead in Christ. And so what will happen, first comes the resurrection, and then the judgment, right? So when, we, when Jesus returns we're all of a sudden going to get these, it says in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to get these beautiful resurrection bodies. And so when we appear at the judgment, it isn't like we're going like, I wonder if we made it. You know, I wonder if, I, if I'm going to get in. Like, oh, do I have to show a certificate or answer some questions? Or, no, we're going to look buff, and we're going to go like, whoa, and we're with the Lord, and he's already got it. We're in, Okay. Uh, so this, this separation comes like in, in a time kind of thing. And so here we are before the Lord, and the judgment, it turns out, is kind of a judgment of rewards. Notice here that in that judgment, he doesn't bring up to the believers the places where we did wrong, right? We talk about sin is broken. He's covered that, right? So this is all about, hey, you fed me. Hey, you gave me drink when I needed it. You took care of me. You visited me. You, were, you did these great things, you know? It's a judgment of rewards. Now, some people look at this and they go like, wait a minute, I thought this salvation thing was apart from the things that we, that we do. But, you know, it's like the Bible teaches us that when you come to faith in Jesus, it's a life-transforming thing. It changes your life. And so our lifestyle demonstrates the faith that we've got. Uh, 1 John 3, 14 to 15 says this, If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. It says here, that it's kind of a proof that we've passed from death to life. You know, one of the things that happens, I think, to everybody, uh, occasionally, as believers, we go like, we start to go like, wow, I don't feel much assurance that I'm really the Lord's. You know, we start doubting uh, whether we really belong to Him. And one of the things that might be good at a time like that to do is just to go, you know what, am I holding a grudge against somebody? Is there somebody I'm refusing to forgive? Is there somebody that I'm cold to and I'm, you know, giving them the silent treatment or something like that? You deal with, you know, it's, that'll take away that, that assurance, right, that it talks about here in 1 John 3. You deal with that, and all of a sudden you go like, yeah, okay, 
I mean, that's one of the things that kind of a remedy in that kind of situation. It proves we've passed from death to life. Um, there's a little illustration of this in the Brothers Karamazov, the great novel by Dostoevsky. There's this priest in there, his name is Zasimov, and he's kind of a spokesman for Christian belief, right? And uh, he tells this story. It's an old Russian folktale. And in this folktale, there's this very wicked woman, and she is sent to the lake of fire. She's suffering in this lake of fire here, and there's this angel that kind of has been like a guardian angel to her during her life. And this angel's like, oh, man, this is terrible. This woman's like in hell here. So he goes to God, and he goes like, well, didn't this woman ever do anything good? And God goes, well, there was one thing. Um, she gave an onion to a beggar one time. And the angel goes, well, could we try to get her out of the lake of... This is Russian parable, right? Uh, could we try to get her out of the lake of fire with that? And God goes, give it a try. So the angel goes there, and he lowers that onion down in there, and the woman grabs a hold of it, and he starts to pull her out. And then as she starts getting pulled out, and she's almost out of there, other people see this, and they grab onto her legs, and she goes, stop that, let go, it's my onion, not yours. And at that moment, the stalk of the onion breaks, and she falls down into the lake of fire, and she's there forever. But the idea behind the parable is just like, hey, this woman's lifestyle kind of proved where she was at with the Lord, right? This is a person with no love. Therefore, we could pretty much realize she had no faith. Um, notice also in this judgment that the family of believers is a huge thing to the Lord. So it says in 2540, the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these Brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Who are Jesus' brothers and sisters? That's the question, you know, as you look at this judgment. And Jesus actually talked about that one time uh, back in Matthew 12. His mom and some of his stepbrothers came to see him, it says. He was speaking to the crowd. His mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to they speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Yeah, this is the family of God. This is what we celebrate in communion. You know, one of the things is just like, hey, brothers and sisters... All backgrounds, redeemed by Jesus Christ and by his shed blood, and we've been brought into this new family. And I, I want to tell you, maybe this is your experience too, but the longer I walk with the Lord, the more my brothers and sisters in the Lord are special to me. You know, I have my earthly family, my, you know, my, my brother, I mean, my sisters and their husbands and then my grandkids and and, you know, my own kids and stuff. And they're very, very special to me, just like they are your family special to you. But we got this new family, and they become more and more and more important to us as we go along. They're, they're like, precious to us, you know, and God is building us into a family. We're going to be with him and them forever. And Jesus says, hey, you treat these people well. He says, I take that personally. These are my brothers and my sisters. 
Um, 1 John 3, that part goes on and it says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? That's a real sign again of how uh, we really belong to the Lord. Um, this is kind of a, a, a illustration that's a little bit you know, far-fetched, but this took place uh, back in November in California. There's this guy named Caleb Benham, and he comes out of his house one day, and he sees his dog getting mauled by a 350-pound bear, okay? And this is a pretty serious thing. You know what he did? He sees this. He dashes toward the bear, jumps on him, tackles him, takes him to the ground, and starts punching him in the face and in the eye and the nose and everything, and he's trying to strangle this bear, and finally the bear just runs away. And I'm going like, wow, 350-pound bear? But, uh, but you would do that too, wouldn't you, if it was somebody in your family? You're going, I may be small, I may be weak, but that's my kid. You know, that's my wife. Whoa, I'm going, you know, and you would just like lose it, right, and go after them. It's, and that's kind of like what it means to what Jesus is talking about. It's a natural reaction to want to love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And here's a great byproduct. This is like a little reward. It says, Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. We will be confident before we stand before God. That's a great byproduct of this whole thing. When we get to the book of Ephesians, it talks a lot about the church, you know, the body of believers, and how important that is to God. Um, maybe the bottom line in this thing is this. What we do here matters there. What we do here matters there. You know, if you look at this, the righteous ones are going to go, Lord, when, when did we ever see this? They're going like, I don't even remember this. And then Jesus says, if you did it for one of the least of my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. It's a big deal. I got two quotes from Mother Teresa that I think illustrate this idea. And the first one is this. You know, these are a lot of things where we go, like, I didn't do anything that major, but the microscopic actions, you know, the times, the times we saw a need, maybe it was very small, and we just seized that opportunity to do good and to help somebody. And Mother Teresa said this, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. She's saying, seize the opportunities right before you. That was something she did. You know, she just said, hey, here's, i got to deal with this. And the other thing is this whole idea, she says, every day I see Jesus Christ in all his distressing disguises. Don't you love that, distressing? I mean, let's be honest. There are brothers, we have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ, but some of them can be annoying. You know what I'm saying? Not all the time, but they get on our nerves. And think about this with your own family. You know, sometimes you go, you know, and it's just like to see this through the eyes of what Jesus sees at the judgment. Here's Jesus in this person, and it's going as irritating as that person is. That's just not just an ordinary person. That's Jesus in living in them. And I think that's why we love our brothers and sisters, isn't it? It's because, you know, Jesus in me sees Jesus right in them. 
you know, and we identify. Um, do you see what a ripoff this judgment might seem if you're not a believer? There's like two standards here. So with the believers, he goes like, oh, every little thing you did for one of these brothers and sisters of mine, awesome, I love it, you're getting rewarded. Look at the unbelievers. When you refuse to help the least of these bro- my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. I mean, can you think of all the opportunities that you and I have missed? They're not held against us as believers. But if you're not a believer, he's going, there was a guy whose car was broken down on the side of the road, and you didn't, you just drove right by. Going, duh, there's, so, you know, all these, it just seems like unfair, doesn't it? I guess that's what grace is about, you know? It's like we're getting cut a break here. And you think of a guy like Gandhi. I mean, he's going, well, I didn't need a savior. Well, dude, at the judgment, you did thousands of good things, but you weren't very good with the family and with those sons of yours, man. And that's going to be held against you. It's like, oh, two standards. It's it's interesting thing. Now, the third thing is, talked about the judgment, talked about Jesus, the afterlife, the afterlife. And this is kind of fascinating. More celebrity wisdom. This shows that... Just because Billy Coakley has wisdom doesn't mean every drummer has wisdom. Okay, this is uh, Ringo being interviewed by St- St- uh, Stephen Colbert. Why they would say, hey, you're a drummer uh, of a famous band, therefore we'll ask you about heaven and hell and stuff. He goes, what's heaven like, Ringo? Ringo says, heaven's great, but you don't stay there very long. You just got to get yourself together again and come deal with all that stuff you didn't deal with the last time you were here. He's going, yeah, short rehab, that's it. I'm going, really? That's, that's exciting, you know? Um, but it's like, I think even as believers, we shortchange heaven. We got all these like bogus ideas like, well, heaven is where you float around in clouds, you know, and sing some songs all day and all night and everything, and we've got little wings. I'm going, like, what? Um, it, look at this. Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Heaven was prepared for human beings. It even tells us in Revelation that the heaven that God is in right now, that kind of heaven that's designed for angels and you know, supernatural beings, that's going to go away, and a new heaven and a new earth is going to come down. And this is going to have, it says it's going to have trees and rivers. And Isaiah kind of tells us it's going to have animals. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden, but on a huge scale designed for flesh and blood people. I mean, think of the most beautiful national park you've ever seen. This is going to be better. It's going to be amazing. Big, you know, cities. And, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people, so it's going to have to have a lot of room. Um, just to show you how we sell this short, this is a picture of Kyle and Allison Witt. They got married, and they went on their honeymoon to the Barbados. Now, your kids went, or your, your son, uh, I mean, your daughter and your son-in-law, they're going to Hawaii, right? Okay, good, because these guys went to Barbados, and they had, and they go, like, sending all these pictures. Oh, this is like heaven. This is awesome. They come home, and the guy's feet are itching. They're itching like crazy, you know? It's horrible. He goes to the doctor, and the doctor discovers he has hookworms, literal worms under his skin. For five days, he couldn't sleep. The itching was horrible, you know? Apparently, he had been wearing new flip-flops on, flip-flops on the beach. Tell 
them not to wear new flip-flops. And it rubbed some uh, blisters open, and there were apparently cats that were on the beach, and they got the hookworms that, he got the hookworms that way. You know what? It's just like, no matter how beautiful something is in this world, it's just a snapshot, just a little picture, but it's going to be so much better. Everything's falls short here. We just get glimpses to whet our appetite and make it better. And this just blew me away. I'm looking at what Jesus said in John 14, and he's telling his disciples right before he gets, you know, uh, dies and, and rises from the dead, he goes like, there's more than enough room in my father's home, he says in verse 2. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Now, remember back in, the, in Matthew 25, Jesus said, I am... Uh, uh, Heaven has been prepared for you from the creation of the world. So before you and I were even born, before the world, when the world was created, heaven was like designed for people, right? But Jesus goes, now I'm preparing a place for you. What's going on? You know what I think's going on? He's going, I've had 33 years of personal experience here on earth, ground level. I'm going to tweak it a little bit, make it even better. Maybe add big grills for cheeseburgers or whatever, you know, just the kind of stuff. He goes, yeah, that's something we got a feature there, you know, whatever it is. Isn't that fan? I mean, he's going like, I got you in mind. You're, you're special, and I'm going to make it special. Now, hell, on the other hand, notice this. He says, go away, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared, not for people, for the devil and his angels. You know, this must be some kind of like phantom zone kind of thing, but horrible. And it's, but it's not designed for people. It was designed to punish Satan and his angels. And that was it. So what happened here? It's like even though God never intended people to go to hell, there are people who I think insist on going there. They insist. They go like, I, I don't want to be in heaven. I mean, think about what heaven is going to be like. God is the big deal, right? He's featured. He's the the essence of the worship there, and it's, heaven is run by his rules, and it's full of Jesus freaks. You think there's a lot of people who go like, I don't want that. I don't, I don't care for that. And God's going, no, no, you're going to like it. It's awesome. It's great. And people go, no, I choose not to. Uh, J.I. Packer says this, Scripture sees hell as self-chosen. Hell appears as God's gesture for, of respect for human choice. All receive what they actually chose, either to be with God forever, worshiping him, or without God forever, worshiping themselves. You know, it's like people choose, and God's going, I am not going to make people puppets or robots. I created them in my image, I gave them choice, and I'm going to honor that, because I'm not going to make them my slaves, you know, and so people get what they've chosen. That's why I think Jesus says it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. People, you know, gnashing of teeth is like, oh, I just regret. I just regret it. I blew it. And it just, it's just too, too horrible even to think about that kind of option. But it's what people ultimately decided with their lives and the way that they went. And so it, it comes down, I think, to this. It's like what Moses said back in Deuteronomy 30 when he talked to, to God's people then. And I think it's a good word for us today. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you 
that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your, is your life. You know, that's our choice this morning. Jesus has made it possible. He's even fine-tuned it. He wants us to be there. He's going, look it, trust me, follow me, love your brothers and sisters, choose life. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come to you this morning, we want to thank you that we have been on your radar from, the Bible says, before the creation of the world. And we're just so grateful that you have given us this opportunity to hear uh, your word and to know you and to know the way, the way to, uh, to this life. And so, Lord, we just pray that uh, you'd keep our eyes on the prize, to keep our eyes on eternity, Lord. And, Lord, I just pray that this fellowship of believers and the believers worldwide, that we would be unified that we'd grow together, that we'd be loving each other. And Lord, add to our numbers. Just draw people out of death and into life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.